0: What do you do when you get the news that something is not normal during your pregnancy? For this week's guest, Katie Robertson, getting the news at her 20-week scan that her baby might have a cleft palate turned her world upside down. Not to mention that it was at the height of the COVID pandemic, and she would also have to give birth without her doula, whom she adored. However, she found a way to shift her perspective to the positive, and in the end, have the most beautiful pregnancy and birthing journey. She could have easily allowed that piece of news to ruin her joy, but she chose otherwise. Listen in to hear her first reaction to meeting her sweet son, Hunter, and how it was not quite what you'd expect. Katie also shares how she and her partner admittedly struggled once her son was born and how they worked through communication challenges and assumptions. In hearing stories like Katie's We learn from her experience and how we too can be empowered and remain strong, even when faced with struggle. Katie resides on the Gold Coast and runs three businesses from home, including Living the Abundant Way, which is all about encouraging you to live your best, most natural and chemical free life. You are listening to the Mamas in Training podcast, giving aspiring and expecting moms guidance and community from moms who have been there. And I'm your host, Jessica Laurian. An autoimmune disease is delaying my journey into motherhood, so while I heal from that, I've decided to learn all about motherhood before I actually am one. So we get to go on this journey together. And now it's time to be inspired by a mama who has gone through an unexpected journey, to say the least. Here is the story of Katie and her sweet boy, Hunter.
1: when I found out I was pregnant, which was a surprise for me. I call it a bit (laughs) of a a blessed stitch up because I was really looking forward to having a bit of time with my husband without children a little longer. We'd only really been married a year. So I actually found out I was pregnant the day before I got on a plane to America. And we actually spent a few weeks in New York two years ago, which
0: was
1: super special for my mom's 60th birthday. And we spent like, yeah, six to eight weeks in the States and a bit of Canada. So, I spent all of my first trimester walking around New York City 12 hours a day, literally exhausted, like wanted to Mm. pass out and like nobody understood because my husband never had me pregnant before. I'd never been pregnant (laughs) before. And then my mom came and she's like, you need to let her rest. Like this is full on. So, I'd sleep on park benches. I literally looked homeless, like church benches, (laughs) like all these random things. So, I didn't have that whole crying I'm pregnant moment that some people experience where you and your partner jump up and down like it was almost like oh shit what are we gonna do like we, we almost felt like immature kids that just didn't know what we were stepping into I always wanted to be a mom but it was just very different so I had to go on my own personal journey of processing through my initiation into motherhood and mm-hmm. I'm very aware that other people may try for some time and their journey looks different. So I made mean, no disrespect. It was just my personal shock. I yeah. had to go through a journey of that. Like, so, and I, I do look back and I'm grateful that it happened like that. And all the things. But in the end, I just got over the hump of processing that I was pregnant through basically my whole overseas trip. And then I got back and I had my 12-week scan and things were going well. Then I had my 20-week scan, pretty sure it was my 20-week scan. And that's when they picked up the cleft lip and was still unknown about the palate. I saw it on the big screen, laying in the, you know, the private clinic, doing the whole here's your baby. Look at the thing. It's meant Mm. to be all this exciting thing. And then I saw this black mark where his lip was obviously, because there was nothing there and black represented essentially like a hole. And she was like, Oh, 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 we're going to have to get the OB to come over from the the hospital across the road. We're going to have to talk about this. Like, this is a big thing. Okay. So you can go away now and then you need to come back in two hours. And I was just like, "What?" And I had to like literally go on Google and ruin everything for myself, didn't I? And yeah. let that place tell me what was my my future. And it was so wrong. It was so not what it was like, what I saw on the internet that day. And I fell to pieces crying and I was just circling in my mind, what did I do wrong? And part of it was like, James was like, did I push you too hard walking around New York? is that why this happened to the Aww. baby were you too tired did we do something wrong is it because that one night you didn't know you're pregnant and you had a few drinks like did i eat something <sighs> wrong is it my fault is it me is it you like we went around for so long and to this day the diagnosis and why at 6 weeks the lip and the palate don't close is such a medical mystery some people have tried to allude it can it's like connected to a whole f- you know folic acid deficiency It's not. They can't prove that either. There is some conditions where they can prove that for children. It is so important for mums to have those extra supplements. But in this situation, they cannot track what happens at six weeks because most women don't even know they're pregnant at six weeks. You've barely even just realized you've missed your period. How are they meant to go in there and then assess all of these things when it's so tiny in your body? So. Yeah, we had to really surrender to the fact this was our journey and we were never going to know why this happened.
0: You're providing words for people to understand that they're not alone when they're thinking those thoughts of what did I do wrong? And even the fact that you say your husband went so far as to say, did I push you to walk around New York City too much? I mean, so many things can go awry or can take a turn during pregnancy or in birth that is so out of our hands, but it feels so personal because these little humans are created inside of us. So how did you move on from that and manage the emotions that you were feeling and and process this news while you were still pregnant.
1: Yeah. And as anyone out there that's had a baby for, like you have so many hormones when you're pregnant, like there's a lot right. of feelings going on in there. I went through the ups and downs initially, you know, we, you like most people, you either get a picture of your scan or, you know, you do your cute little post on Instagram or you get some digital photos in your phone. Well, we ended up deleting them all because you could end up looking at them all the time at obsessing. And my husband was like, I just want you to delete them all. Stop thinking about it. Like it's not, helpful. And I did all of that. And I I mean, I have my faith. That's what I anchor to. Some people might have universe, higher self. I say, God, that's the strength that I anchored into in this particular, se- well, most of my life, but in this particular season, I really drew on that because at the end of the day, everything was out of my control. I literally had to surrender and trust. So, as per medical protocol, you have to get brain tests and heart tests and continue to go for scans. We got transferred, you know, under an obstetrician in the public women's sector. I was going more regularly now to get more scans than what an everyday mum would get. And every time we would go and get these scans, he would get his little hand and put it across his mouth. He would turn his head away from the scan. Like, I mean, I'd have to walk around, come back, try again. It was like, It became a bit of a joke because he would refuse to reveal the appearance of his face to the point where within the womb. Yes,
0: within the womb.
1: So he would literally go like that as soon as she would get close to like the scan. And I didn't know he was a boy at the time. I didn't find out he was a boy till he was born, but I felt in my heart that he was a boy. So that's why I, I actually named him and we like really felt like we knew who this person was. It kind of sounds a bit creepy, mm. but it was like very intuitive. So in the end, the only way that I could get another confirmation of the cleft was to go a top scan through the brain, like a top view, and basically be able to go, had to go through all these different layers to be able to see the lip marking again on like a particular angle and they never ever confirmed the palate was affected. Essentially a baby has to be backwards with their head, with their mouth open, looking up, which is so oh, impossible wow. to do with a baby. He would suck his thumb, he would cover his yeah. mouth, he would turn away. So I literally didn't even know that the palate was going to be affected till literally the second He was born. So I basically went into a bubble. I call it a pregnancy bubble. Some may say I was really ignorant because I didn't draw on as many support services as were available to me. I didn't even connect with the cleft nurse. I did meet with the surgeon. So we knew the process of surgery and built a relationship with her. Every single family gets assigned a nurse who integrates between the family and the surgeon. Um, And then everybody gets assigned a surgeon at your hospital. And there was a man and a woman and I got the woman and she was absolutely fantastic. And she's been doing plastic surgery for 20, 30 years. And part of her passion was cleft children on top of other types of plastic surgery that she did. So we knew all of that. And she told me to connect with the cleft nurse, Danny. I just didn't. I had a number. I had a card. I kept looking at it. And I just didn't. I just didn't want to keep thinking about it i just wanted to get on with the things i could control in my pregnancy which was exercise hydration mental health birth preparation planning i hired a doula i focused on everything that i ate and wasn't in like a weird obsessive way it was in a really excited passionate vibrant way and i was glowing in my pregnancy I'm still probably not glowing now like I was I'm fitter when I was in the the end of my pregnancy than I am now like I really need to get outside and get a workout on I'm so lazy (laughs) compared to when I was pregnant I was going to Pilates four times a week I was doing stair walks and I just felt energized from head to toe and I had my sad sad days like when I did a you know a belly photo shoot we really love the whole belly photo shoot here in Australia I got really upset when my husband didn't take it seriously because I had this feeling that he's not going to want photos on the other side when the baby's born. And, you know, another really big thing is to get all those newborn beautiful photos. Well, I knew my husband wouldn't want to do that. So this was like my last chance to celebrate this baby and birth via this beautiful way of photography and then I ended up doing a shoot when he was like eight or nine months old and it was really exciting because I'd waited so long and I felt like everything was just coming around and turning tables. But yeah, yeah, I had those moments where I'd fall apart and then I'd pull myself back up. And I think one of the big mental space sort of shifts for me when I was walking along the beach when I was in Sydney, I left Sydney on June 22nd before COVID Sydney 2.0 hit and I have been living (laughs) on the road ever since but prior to all of that I was living in Sydney in a place called Marubra, which is um, the eastern part of Sydney by the beach and I remember looking out at the water I was walking along the beach because I did that a lot when I was pregnant and I remember having this story in my head that I'd read online one of the good things I read online about a family that also had cleft child and they found out about the situation in India with the caste system so the Hindu faith gets very shamed if they have a child that has a disability or anything different especially physical but also mental and or intellectual and they basically put all the cleft kids in India into orphanages and they're packed all across the country and they basically get discarded essentially like trash and they don't get surgical repairs, they don't get their cleft repair, they don't get their lip repair, they don't get their jaw grafting, their gum grafting done. So you can imagine their smile could be quite intimidating for the everyday person that sees it could be a little bit scary even for some. And as they grow, that stretches and it becomes more dramatic as they become, you know, an adolescent, even into Mm -hmm. teenagers. So they, this particular family had this mission to go to India and help and there's these initiations now called get your smile back and I remember thinking when you smile like from ear to ear that's when you like have joy pouring out of you that's when you laugh that's when you feel that warm feeling through your chest that's when you just smile when you're having a thought or you're walking down the road you just beam if you don't like your smile and you're ashamed of your smile and you're ashamed of who you are you're you don't smile, which means how do you activate joy and release joy through your mouth? It's very hard to be joyful and pout your lips, right? It's like you want to just expand. So I remember thinking if they've lost their smile, they've lost their joy, they've lost their love, and that broke me so much. And I just remember feeling, again, for me, it's God, whatever your source is, I just remember him saying, Caitlin, you've got the gift of love. Everything's going to be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. if you can love deeply, regardless of appearance or difference or anything, he's going to be okay. Like he's actually going to be okay. And I'm telling you, this kid never stopped smiling before he had his operation.
0: (laughs) My favorite picture is the one that you have of him. I think it's in the bathtub and he's like looking to the side, it's on your Instagram. And he is just like the biggest smile he's the happiest little boy know. oh my gosh
1: yeah so he beams from e to e before his operation after his operation nothing changed for him he was loved he had joy he had purpose he was in a safe mm-hmm. environment and yes in australia we are incredibly blessed the government pays for everything because it comes under a birth defect so they literally mm-hmm. pay for all these operations everything and i guess a privilege other people don't have but basically, he's going to be fine. So that's where I got to in a place in my mind where I knew everything was going to be okay.
0: You know, you mentioned maybe it was a a level of ignorance, the fact that you put yourself in this bubble, but I feel like that was the smart thing to do. Having come around it now, would you do anything different? Or do you think that was the, the smartest way for you personally to handle it?
1: The only downside of that is I also really wanted him to be born on Easter Sunday which means that Easter Monday is a public holiday, which means there's different staff at the hospital over the weekend, which also meant the cleft nurse wasn't there on Monday. So I didn't see her till Tuesday, which meant we didn't have the special bottles for him to feed with if his cleft was affected. So Mm -hmm. he ended up going down to NICU and getting put in NICU for three days and also was put on a tube to feed essentially I could have kept on hand expressing my colostrum and just been basically squeezing in his mouth and he could have just enjoyed it. He didn't need to go to NICU at all. The doctors just freaked out and actually because of that, they actually went into a full training and the entire woman's hospital got trained, midwives, doctors, OBs, everything (laughs) in Cleft training because the nurse was so PO'd that actually he'd gone down there (laughs) and she was like, get him up to his mum, get him off the plugs, get him out of
0: here. He doesn't
1: need to be here. There's nothing like he didn't need it to be monitored he was seriously fine it's just they yeah. freak out about food and starvation of course naturally
0: right, right oh my goodness on top of getting the news that he was going to be born with a birth defect then not only that but the timing of everything was just so happened to be the height of the COVID pandemic he then also had to be in the nicu and he had two surgeries. These are all challenges and things that come about that of course you don't expect, you don't plan on. It's not the way you picture your journey to be. How would you encourage other people to stay empowered, and, and push through, push all of this stuff aside and push through these nine months to have a positive pregnancy and then go into birth in a positive way. I mean, how can we stay empowered?
1: So for me, it was, a seriously, good question. I love this. It, it, for me, it was, what can I control? And I don't mean in like a negative control free, not be releasing, surrendering. I mean, what what can I be empowered in? And and for me, again, that was food, water, exercise, hydration, health, knowing everything about birth, having a beautiful birth because I didn't know what was on the other side of birth. That was learning about birth, learning about the medical world, learning everything that I could. So I just put all my energy and focus into nourishing my mind with positive affirmations. I was created to birth. I can do this. Um Having good community around me, having myself set up with postpartum meals, cleaners, community that was there for me, being aware of how to pump, what's pumping. So when Mm. I did find out that he had his cleft, I had my pump that I'd bought. I kept the receipt just in case I needed to return it. I had all of that. My only regret was that I didn't hand express my colostrum, so prenatal express, before he was born. I didn't know that was a thing and I I possibly could have found out about it if I connected with the nurse. Maybe she probably would have suggested it. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I I had my colostrum and it was fine and he still got all of it. It's just that I had to do it in a more fatigued state. If I had reserve Mm -hmm. and backup frozen, it would have taken the pressure off and I probably could have slept a bit more rather than waking up every two to three hours and walking down to NICU and giving it to them and labeling it and all of that. So, But yeah, it was really focusing on what can I do rather than not what what I can't do mm-hmm. and setting myself up with plans. So I had I had enough food that lasted me in the freezer for like two to three months. I had food delivery wow. services. Even my mum rearranged my pantry to be a better setup. <laughs> I just tried to do things to make my future self grateful for I love that where I was going to be and predict it. And there was obviously so many things that happened I couldn't have prepared for. I wouldn't have known.
0: You sound very, very much like me. And in, in the sense that whenever something's going on, like even with the pandemic happening, I was not the person that could just sit on the couch and watch movies all the time and be okay with that. I had to keep going and going and going and, and set myself and my mind on that positive state. So, Then your sweet little superhero, Hunter, was born. How did it finally feel when he was born to look into his eyes?
1: This is probably not what people want to hear, but I was full of disappointment. I was like, yes, I just pushed out this baby. I'm a freaking warrior. And I did have a really beautiful birth. And I'm very grateful for that because I felt like it was just a little silver lining to what I was going through. But I basically, as soon as he came out, we found out he was a boy so my husband was excited so his excitement levels were very very high all I could think about was breastfeeding like it consumed me and I just started yelling is the cleft affected? Is the palate affected? Is it the hard and soft palate? What's happening? What's happening? What's happening? And I went into like a mm. panic. Plus you've got the most adrenaline your body's ever experienced in its life. Right. I, don't, I don't even know if sports people experience that much adrenaline. <laughs> it's, I it's, doubt it. <laughs> I was shaking, like I couldn't even stand. Like I was literally shaking so much. Aftershock, or normal, nothing necessarily traumatic or bad happened. It was just my body gone through this huge birth. And all I wanted to do was put my pajamas on and have a shower. Like that's how I relax. I lay really still in a dark, quiet place. That's how I refuel. I'm a bit of a talker and can be an extrovert, but I just wanted to go into this hidey hole. So they, obviously the pediatrician came in and all of that, and there's the OBs there, they're assessing him and they just say, Yes, hard and soft palate affected. And I just go, fuck, oh, I just big like black. I was so angry. Mm. And I remember my doula going, it's okay, Caitlin, it's okay, Caitlin. Mind you, my doula was on Skype or Zoom at this point because of COVID. She wasn't allowed to come Wait. in. So I paid all this money for this beautiful doula who's literally like my hero. She couldn't even be in there. I had to choose between her and my husband. So I had my husband. He went into baby mode straight away and that's what he was trained to do. I said, don't worry about me. You know what I want for him every step of the way after birth. All the medical decisions we've made prior, he was with him. They put, I, and I hate the first photo of me with him and it's meant to be this bliss moment where you're crying and you look into each other's eyes and you post on Instagram and it's all dreamy. That was not my story. My bliss moment did not come until I was downstairs holding him in NICU two to three days later. And I totally get now the feeling that women must have when they're about to have all they're going into a postnatal depression because I remember thinking I'm on the brink of being in a place that if I don't get myself out of this I can see how things can shift. And I know there's chemical stuff and yeah. there's more to and it. i see the, the black hole road. coming. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I don't want to go down there. I don't want to deal with yeah. this. This is too hard. I'm exhausted. This feels awkward. I've got to hold my baby with everyone watching me. I just feel weird. I feel like I'm not doing the right thing. I just feel like there's these big white walls and all these babies and all these little boxes and it's just too much. And mm-hmm. I remember just having self-talk with my yes hey, It's your baby. You love your baby, Caitlin. You did an amazing job. Go down there. All you have to do is sit next to him. Even if he's asleep, just sit there. Don't worry. Even if you just hold his hand, don't worry. And then I remember being so afraid to hold him because I'd been so almost disempowered with my own child because he'd been taken off and you feel awkward holding a baby for the time. You're like, am I gonna break their neck? They're floppy. Like you just feel weird you didn't
0: touch him at all.
1: I did for a little bit, but it, I mean, it was literally like a few minutes because they right. went into like frenzy that he needed to just straight away, go down there and get us. I mean, babies can survive for hours after they come up without food. I mean, he was right. tanked in there. I drank eight liters of water in my, like <laughs> my labor. Like I was smoked yeah. when it came to <laughs> hydration. Like he was going to be fine, but fine. they they don't react like that. So I have this photo of me looking at him and I remember knowing in my face I was disappointed and I hate the Mm. photo so much. James loves it. He doesn't see what I see, but I hate that photo because I know how I was feeling in that moment in that photo and it's not how I was feeling in the photos later and you can see my whole face changes. And yeah, that was really hard for me and I think that's something we don't talk about enough and I think you then start to think there's something wrong with you. You're a bad mom. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get depressed. I'm broken. Like, there's all this stuff that goes through your head. Like, no one warned me that I wasn't going to have this emotional, bliss, crying, beautiful moment, and my baby was going to breastfeed for the first time. It was going to be this superstar Hollywood film. Heck no, I didn't get to breastfeed. I had to sit with him in Niku, and any moms out there that have ever gone through an experience like Niku. My son barely had a Niku experience, but any of you out there that have like premi babies or any other birth def- like I will say it till I die, premi mums or NICU mums are literally my heroes. They're the bravest mm-hmm. women in the world because that whole place is just so confronting. But yeah. yeah, essentially I didn't get my bliss moment till about three days later. And then all of that love kicked in, all those beautiful hormones started rushing. And I was just like, I love my baby. And from that day on, I was fine with him. I never felt disconnected. I never, I had down moments and very, very hard days in my own motherhood role, but I never felt ever like I was obsessed with him. And I think that's okay. And I think it's good to talk about it.
0: It's completely okay. And it's 100% necessary to talk about it. I recently did an interview with Dr. Alice Pickering, and we were talking about basically sort of that, what happens if you don't fall in love with your baby right away and, and intrusive thoughts as well, because all of those things are really important and can seep in, especially when you have all of this anxiety over what's going to happen to your child and the future that they're going to have. And with the birth defect, there are so many unknowns. And so I honor you for being vulnerable enough to share your true feelings of where you were at. And I know that anyone listening, if you have to experience something like that, which I hope no one does, but if you do have to go through that, you can at least maybe take a moment to think back to this moment and remembering, okay, there's been somebody else out there who has looked into the eyes of their newborn and has not felt that connection right away or not that joy or that love right away. And And I think just knowing that you're not alone is one of the most important things You mentioned your breastfeeding journey, and you had said in something that I was reading online that you knew your breastfeeding journey was over before it had even started, which really kind of just hit me hard because I can see someone who especially has a desire to breastfeed so much, and it's not even a matter of whether your baby, you know, gets it or your body produces enough. It's just purely you didn't have the option to try
1: I felt I had to process through what I call breastfeeding loss grief and I think there's thousands (laughs) of women out there that go through this for a number of reasons oh my gosh it's something we are not talking about enough and I think there needs to be like psychologists and counselors that literally just help women get through the grief of their loss of breastfeeding some who make a choice to not breastfeed and totally had the ability to is a very different decision to somebody who felt forced not to breastfeed based on a medical person's opinion a mum a family member it's very very different all sorts of emotions come into play like rejection not good enough i'm broken there's something wrong with me i'm not a good enough mum my milk's not good enough my body's not good enough i mean there is a lot of negative self talk which actually ends up leaking into all areas of motherhood, if not dealt with, and can be the catalyst of postnatal depression. And I don't think that we're talking about it enough. And one thing you will hear medical people and other mothers continually say is this term fed is best. And I totally believe fed is best. But if you're using a phrase like fed is best to undermine a woman's process of grief, you were actually mm-hmm. doing a detriment to her healing journey and her mental health. For me, I was like, right, what are my options? And that's what I loved about my situation because I guess I kind of knew a little bit what was coming, which is not the case for most women that have struggles with breastfeeding. Most of the time, things get sideswiped last minute and you you don't really know and you're just fully in the assumption that you were going to breastfeed. It was going to be fine. You didn't realize there was tongue ties and different size nipples and People's flow lets down too quickly. Some people don't have enough four and high milk. Like there's so many dimensions to breastfeeding. And for me, I guess I at least had my pump. I was kind of like, okay, this is what could maybe happen. So for me, I was like, I got the milk. I got the boobs. I've got the milk. I was created to do this. I have this nourishment in my body that I've been pumping myself with and spending hundreds of dollars on to be healthy, to create it. I'm just going to extract it with a machine and I am going to allow him to drink it through a different device aka Mm. a bottle or you know early stages it was a syringe and for me I felt like I got my empowerment back when something was stolen from me I feel like I got to take the reins again Mm. and go right I wrote a declaration so I'll pump anywhere anytime and I did cars beaches appointments anywhere I did it with modesty but I did it just like any other breastfeeding mom would breastfeeding public or whatever she needed to do to feed her baby. I did all of that. I had a team of cheerleaders and my cheerleaders were (laughs) not allowed to say Fetty's best on my hard days. (laughs) They had to say to me, what do you need? How can I help? Today will be nearly over in this many hours. Tomorrow's a new day. You've got this. What are your goals? How does the rest of your day look? How can you manage your time better? Can you get some rest? That's what I really wanted people to say to me. And if I still woke up the next day and the next day and the next day and I was still struggling, I had things to myself that I'd written. Like, if at any point this starts to affect my mental health in a negative way, I have permission to stop. I want to make it to four months for the first surgery. I want to make it to eight months for the second surgery. And if I can make it to 12 months, then that's my ultimate goal. And at any point, I made it. I freaking (laughs) made it. It was the hardest. best thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm so grateful that I had the opportunity because I'm so aware some women aren't even given the opportunity to make a choice in their feeding journey. There's so many ways that you can do it. Whatever makes you feel the most empowered and best, I think is the best. Something I've really come to realize, especially in this last year, We as women need to be honest about the way we want people to interact with us in friendship and motherhood and not be passive and not expect people to be mind readers and at the same time (laughs) for us back to women that are mothers, especially if the mother is going through a really hard time and they're not actually in a mental place to even articulate what they need very well or take the initiative in what they're going through, what I've really been asking how would you like me to support you through that? That can be mm-hmm. with labor, that can be with postpartum. Some women love you to come every day and support them. They're super people, people and they want to be around people. Some people don't want you to even contact them.
0: What's the best way that you found to navigate through your unexpected journey with your partner?
1: I don't think we necessarily did it great after he was born. There was a quite a bit of misunderstandings in some things or assumptions that ran deep as how we experience parenting for ourselves as a child that can come up and get triggered. I previously nannied for two years so I kind of felt like I did a bit of my healing journey as well and things came up for me and got triggered when I was a nanny from my own experience as a child or the the lack of things that I needed. I don't think my husband ever gone through anything like that before, so he got quite a shock, I think, in his initiation into parenting. I think you need to literally ask each other the silliest questions and highlight every little detail. Okay, so who's cooking every night? Who's changing nappies? Do you know how many men out there assume that they're not going to change a nappy because Mm -hmm. their dad never (laughs) changed a nappy and their dad never changed a nappy? yeah. (laughs) My husband comes from a farm of 150 years, farm culture, very different dynamics between the male and the female, very different. His dad was out on the farm all day, every day, and his mum was at home with the kids. Very (laughs) different dynamic to me and my husband both work from home. We can Mm -hmm. navigate our businesses and we were going to be together at home with this baby all the time. So my assumption was he was going to help a lot more. His assumption still was I would be carrying most of the weight because he just assumed, well, you'll be the one that's feeding, you're breastfeeding. I can't do Mm -hmm. that. Well, I'm not breastfeeding now, babe. We bottle feed so we both can do that and I'm struggling and i got to pump on top of that so I've got to do everything twice. And if I could go back, we needed to have had way more communication and dialogue and really set the expectations of what I thought was involved in parenting and what he thought was involved in parenting because he's a very private person, I'm a very public person so I didn't realise how much of Hunter's story he didn't want people to know about Mm. and I really needed to process verbally and share things with people and have support where that made him feel really uncomfortable. Those are the type of things that I didn't see coming. We should have probably got more support, more like therapy support. I had 15 people consulting me at one point about Hunter and I I don't think I could have taken one. You were maxed out. I was maxed out. (laughs) Like I had to tell them all to leave me alone because it was I was drowning in medical yeah. opinions, this specialist to this specialist to this specialist. It's
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's a lot for hospital moms. Now I'm actually back in my own counseling journey. I'm processing through some of that pain and trauma that I had postpartum. Now with a safe person and I've got sleep and I have the space, my kid's in daycare. So I really feel like I can just have my low days. I can do self-care. I can get through some of this and to I have mm. a lot of forgiveness to do. I got to forgive my husband for not fulfilling the expectations that I set. You know, yeah. that's really hard as well. Some stuff he didn't even know about that I was expecting mm. of him. Some things he did and he still failed, but we fail in marriage or relationships. Right. I think at the end of the day, keep searching for the choice that feels best for you and don't give up when you're only hearing one or two opinions based on medical opinions, opinions of family members. You really need to go into a bubble. And I almost see it like when you're going to buy a house or you're going to make a really big investment into your life or you're something where you're paying a lot of money, you've got to meet with the banker, you've got to go with the loans, you've got to look at the different loans, you've got to look at the different houses. You know, We spend sometimes six weeks just picking a freaking pram. Like, But when it comes to sometimes the things that really impact our life in motherhood, sometimes we anchor to the wrong advice or get Mm. pushed into things or we act out of fear and then the consequences of that is often pain and trauma and disappointment and grief. Not one person or one doctor has all the answers, but we're only human. We only have so much capacity in our own mind to know so many things. So, yeah, nothing's ever black and white. So I feel like we've become a very black and white with motherhood and some sometimes, but most of the time, everything is very gray and we're all just trying to figure it out as we go along.
0: Yes, <laughs> 100%. Oh my gosh, Katie, you're such an inspiration and, and your tenacity and your strength is just really empowering for, for all women, But but then of course, for women who are going through a challenge that they might not have expected. So I'm so grateful to have had your story on and to share the story of Hunter and how strong he is too, going through the surgeries and everything. I'll have all the links in the show notes to connect with you, but I'd love for you to just briefly tell us as well about living the abundant way and how you're really striving to help others live their best, most natural and chemical-free life as well.
1: Yes, yeah, so I, I love my business. My business is such a blessing and it was definitely one of the things that was positive for me in my postpartum, something positive I could focus on and distract Mm -hmm. myself with. Many many hours spent working on my business while pumping, just trying not to think about (laughs) pumping. I'm really passionate about seeing women live what I call low-tox reduced chemical life. I think it heavily impacts our pregnancy, our postpartum. I think the more that we can empower women in everyday choices, even what we allow through our front door, just empowers us in every every area of life and it's global. Half of my business is actually in Europe. Got some friends in Canada, America going into mm-hmm. Indonesia. So we're all over the world. It's very accessible. And I basically build it all online so I can do it from the comfort of my home while being there for my little man through all his ups and downs of life. And yeah, that was really important to me to, yeah. to be there and be present. And I wanted to be the, the strongest voice in his life.
0: Absolutely. That is so beautiful. Well, all the links in the show notes will be there for you to reach out and connect with Katie to start living your most abundant life and and most abundant way through this world. I thank you so much, Katie, for all of your insight and wisdom. And thank you for sharing your story and for your vulnerability as well. It's so important.
1: Thank you so much as well. I feel really honored to be on your podcast and I love what you're doing. And I love that you're really in your strength and your stride in the season of life that you're in and just owning it. And I think it takes a lot of um, humility and you're really teachable, right? Because you're basically using this season of your life to just suck in every little drop of information, every lesson, everyone's like (laughs) bum. So when that season comes for you, you just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm ready and rocking. And I just know so much. Like if I could know everything that you're knowing before (laughs) I became a mom, like, oh my gosh. So yeah, you must, you're in such empowered situation. But I think it also Really gives other women permission that even though that beautiful baby hasn't come yet, you are still a mother at heart and can still learn and have wisdom from other moms. So that's just beautiful. Thank you so
0: much. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It would be really hard to stay positive when you receive information that your baby is going to be born with a birth defect. And while we never know what exactly to expect or how we really will feel, I hope that hearing Katie's story empowers you that whatever unfolds in your story, you are able to conquer it with determination, strength, and the support of a strong community. I especially loved her tip about sharing with those closest to her how she wanted to be supported and encouraged. And I hope that you do the same. That is such a beautiful way to advocate for yourself, because only you know your limits and what way you would like to be supported. Now remember, throughout this journey, you do not have to do it alone, and we can be there for you immediately if you join us in the free Facebook community, Mamas in Training. All you have to do is click on the link in the show notes, and you'll be welcomed by a group of other empowering mamas who will have your back at all times. I cannot wait to meet you there. If you enjoyed the show today, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts so I know how to better serve you. I'd also love for you to join our community of Mamas in Training on Facebook. You can find me at Mamas in Training on Instagram and at MamasinTraining.com. For Mamas in Training, I'm Jessica Lorian. We're in this together.